Is it official? It sure does look that way as Tom Brady announces that he's retiring from the NFL after a decorated 23-year career. I have an interesting comparison to one of his contemporaries in the world of sports that'll spark some debate. The NHL's first half has completed as the All-Star break is here. I'll review the surprises and disappointments to date and a big yet risky trade by my New York Islanders. How do you like your college basketball as we're six weeks away from the tournament? And of course, everything that's happening in the association. We make the turn into February with everything that's percolating and cooking on the sports stove. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's Groundhog Day as we welcome in February. Now, I don't know if the Groundhog has seen a shadow or not. Nevertheless, it's going to be frigid in these parts over the next couple of days, but I'll have these airwaves coming in hot with all that's happening in sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Anything interesting happened in the world of sports in the last 24 hours? I'm sure you probably have enough Tom Brady fatigue to last for 20 lifetimes because as we all know, he's been in the NFL for almost two and a half decades and even after last year on February the 1st, announcing his retirement round one, this time around it looks like it's going to be legit as a one Thomas Edward Brady goes off into the sunset into retirement after his Instagram post early yesterday morning and sent shockwaves throughout sports. It was inevitable. It is about time. And hopefully we don't have to worry as we get into the spring and more so into the summer with training camps and quarterbacks that may be getting hurt or quarterbacks that have not been signed or a destination that is in desperate need of a quarterback That we don't have to wonder and hopefully won't be the case that Tom Brady will resurface and be a guy that will show up in a training camp raring to go for one last crack at it because as we've seen in the past, whether your name was Brett Favre in particular, and a lot of quarterbacks that want to resurface and pop up to see if they could 
pull out a team from the fire or see if they could have enough in the tank to go through one more playoff run or even a Super Bowl run. But for Brady, there is nothing that he needs to prove. As we all know, he's an all-time great. As we all know, he's in all likelihood the GOAT. And I understand that that could be debatable as well, especially to the crowd that's at least 45 and over like myself. When we look at a guy like Joe Montana, who is perfect in Super Bowls and did not throw an interception, or Johnny Yu, who is the guy that revolutionized the quarterback position, especially when it comes to the forward pass, and having all the passing records for so many years up until Dan Marino. And for all the quarterbacks that have come before him and the ones that will come after him, I don't think we're ever going to see a career, not only just in football, but in sports. But he does have a contemporary that's still playing today that is not in the NFL that could maybe rival him. And I'll get into that in a minute. But as far as Brady, we do not need to go through his whole resume to get into how great he is to get into him being a first ballot Hall of Famer or the greatest quarterback of all time. Seriously, do you really need for me to tell you that as a sports fan? Even if you're the most casual sports fan and you happen to be listening for the very first time, I'm sure you're very familiar with the career of Tom Brady. And I don't need to wax poetic on how brilliant he was, how long it's been, almost two and a half decades, and to think that we're never going to see anything like that ever again especially in the NFL, even with the rules the way they are now trying to protect the quarterback, we could even try to forecast, could that be Patrick Mahomes, the next guy that's going to carry the mantle and to be a guy that's going to go to multiple Super Bowls if he's lucky to win four or five, dare I even say seven. But a career like we've just witnessed pretty much since the beginning of the century, you can't rival it and it's going to be hard to even match it especially as long as I'm alive and I've been here now 53 years going on 54 at the end of next month. So with all the accolades and everything aside, now we have to wonder what's going to be the next step in Tom Brady's life. And as we all know, he signed that lucrative contract by Fox or from Fox to start being a part of their family. Whether that means he's going to be in the booth, I don't think you're going to see him next Sunday in Glendale sitting next to Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. I think that'd be a little bit premature. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in the pregame in some facet a week from this coming Sunday, whether it means that they're going to go through his whole career or have him be a part of a panel, which you know you're going to see ad nauseum, whether it's on Fox or any of the other networks, NFL Network, etc. But for Brady in particular, you wonder if he's going to dip his toe into those waters to get him a leg up as far as what his broadcasting future may be, that's something that we're going to have to wait and see, and maybe there'll be an announcement here, maybe not into the weekend, but early next week. And we could talk all about what his next stage is going to be like, what we can predict. I know I mentioned a long time ago when the news broke that he was going to sign with Fox, 10 years, $375 million, that if he were to be in the booth, let's say next to... Kevin Burkhardt, if they happen to dispose of Greg Olson, which wouldn't be fair. But again, he is Tom Brady. And I don't know how much he's going to resonate with the audience. We understand that he has an acumen when it comes to him being 
laser focused and him being prepared as we've seen on the football field for all the time that he's been in the NFL, how that's going to translate. I'm sure if he's going to put that work ethic in and be that guy that could be even better than what we've seen, whether your name is Tony Romo, whether your name is even Troy Aikman, that is a big, giant question mark. That's not to say he's not going to take it seriously. I'm sure he's going to be a student of what the broadcasting game is going to be, but if you ask me right now, I don't think he's going to be that guy that everybody's going to flock to the TV set to see how Tom Brady's going to perform here. Yes, there's going to be people that's going to critique him. There's going to be people that's going to listen to see if he's going to have any type of charisma or to have that voice behind the mic that people are going to gravitate to, a la John Madden. But for Brady, that is the unknown at this very moment. What is known is that he's retiring, coming off a year where he was 8-9 and nine and lost in the wildcard round to the Cowboys. I'm sure it was one of the toughest years that he's ever had to endure, not only for the first time in his career being under 500, but also going through a public divorce and not knowing all the proceedings and, of course, not being privy. And obviously, it's none of our business, but you knew that had to wear on him. And you kind of wonder, wherever she may be on this earth, for one Giselle to think, oh, now he's going to retire after all the years that they've been waiting as a family for him to hang up his cleats and to spend the rest of their lives together. Obviously, that's not for me to judge or for me to even dissect. But it's an interesting argument to think that now that he's single and he is a father, having to deal with kids and having to deal with all the day-in and day-out minutia of what it's like to be a parent and driving kids to school and being a part of their extracurricular activities and programs and things of that nature. But as we look at the big picture here for Tom Brady, we know that as fans, it's always going to be fascinating to see what that next step is going to be. We know all of the interest that he has, whether it's the TB12, his Brady brand. We know that I'm sure it's a cash cow and a lot of his diehard fans are going to be involved in that or at least be a part of that. But now that the book has been closed on his career... Everybody's going to wonder how Tom Brady's going to perform in his next stage, not only just in his professional life, but to even a certain extent in his personal life, being at the age of 45 years old. Now, when we talk about Brady and his competitiveness and his fire, I know that was a lot of the talk yesterday. We know how competitive he was. I'm not going to break down every little thing. Of course, everybody's going to talk about the comparisons that we've seen in the past, whether it's a guy like Tiger Woods, a guy like Michael Jordan, the players that certainly are his luminaries when it comes to guys of that ilk, all-time greats, did whatever it took to win. You want to even go into the whole deflate gate as far as competitive goes? That's something that maybe he's not behind the scenes as far as him going after certain ball boys or, oh, let's make sure that these balls are deflated a certain way. But I'm sure he had some input. But again, it's not to bring that up. It's not to try to taint or even go down the rabbit hole of some of the things that may not have been as pristine and as pure as we've seen Tom Brady throughout the course of his career. But it's a mention. It's something that you have to keep in the back of your mind. But we all know that he was a guy coming in as a sixth-round draft pick, being an underdog, being a guy that was supposed to be the man in college but was sandwiched between 
a guy like Drew Henson and before him Brian Greasy and having this career that nobody ever even expected, imagined, etc. And even him when he said yesterday in his post that it was an absolute dream. And I'm sure he still doesn't want to wake up from it considering that here it is in the year 2023, 23 years after he was drafted to have this type of career, nobody in their right mind could even think or even comprehend that he would have the length, the success, everything that he had had over the course of this almost two and a half decade career. And now I have a comparison that I know may be, I'm not going to say controversial, but I'm sure there's going to be some people and some factions to say, oh, there's no way you could compare these two. They play separate sports. It's blasphemous. But hear me out when I talk about the early part of this century. Here we are now, 2023, and you had a guy who just retired yesterday, and you have a guy that is about to make history in his sport and even stated that he's going to play for a few more years, and that's a one LeBron James. And the reason why I bring him up is because he's been in his sport for 20 years, and the success that he's had is almost unparalleled. Now, if you're talking about titles, we all know that he's dwarfed by Bill Russell, to a certain extent, even Michael Jordan. He's only two away. Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, there's guys that have won more than he has. Whereas with Brady, nobody's won as more as him. But he's also played in 10 NBA Finals. Granted, he's lost six of them. Brady has played in 10 Super Bowls, and he's won seven. A guy that is shattering all the record books in LeBron and what Brady has done as far as passing, yardage, touchdowns, etc. And as transcendent as Brady has been to his sport, we know LeBron has been for his. Now, you can argue that LeBron could be in the top three, four, five for sure all time when it comes to what he's done in his sport, whereas for Tom Brady... You can argue whether or not he's in the top five of his sport. Now, of course, as a quarterback, goes without question, as we talked about. But we're talking about overall. We're talking about Jim Brown. We're talking about Lawrence Taylor. We're talking about Jerry Rice. We're talking about even Dick Butkus. You want to throw in Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton? Those guys obviously belong in the top five. Does Brady wiggle his way into that pantheon of NFL greats? We know LeBron is a part of that in his sport. Is Brady similar or the same in his? And this is what I find fascinating about these two guys and what they've done throughout the course of their career. And LeBron is still writing a story. And as we all know, he is what? 88 points away from breaking the all-time NBA record for points scored in a career. Other than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he's going to surpass that. You would think in the next two to three games, I'm sure... They're saving it for when he gets back to L.A. at the end of the week. They play in Indiana tonight, and then they go to New Orleans on Saturday. So he would have to have two monster efforts here in order for him to surpass Kareem as far as the record is concerned. But we know he's going to break that, and I think it's a very interesting parallel to have both LeBron and Brady for what they've done. And this is just team sports. I'm not talking about Tiger Woods. I'm not talking about Serena Williams. I'm not talking about Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, or even Roger Federer for that matter. And they belong in the discussion. They do. As far as athletes that we've seen throughout the course of this century, or at least the first 23 years, they belong on that list. But as far as team sports go, these are the two guys that are 
one and two, one and one A. You can flip flop however you want. And I know there's a faction of people that hate on LeBron beyond belief because you have the Dynawall NBA fan that's going to believe and really truly think, and they're right to a big extent that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. They don't want to give that to LeBron because he's had a lot of missteps in his NBA career. We know off the court he's been impeccable, but as far as him being that guy that has lost championships, that has played bad in big games, that has not come up big in big games, that he's come up small in a lot of the games that Jordan, in comparison, really didn't come up small at all. And I understand there's that. And it is people going to say, well, Brady has seven titles, LeBron has four. Or Brady has these records and LeBron has those. And I understand they're two different sports. You can't really compare them. But at the same time, these are the two guys that right now are the biggest names in sports. And not only that, but are the two of the greatest athletes that we've seen here in almost the first quarter of this century. And that's one thing that we're going to have to appreciate. And I understand as we get some distance between Brady's career and whenever LeBron hangs it up and as the years go by there, and as I said a few weeks ago, or maybe even as early as last week, to appreciate the greatness of LeBron as much as you may hate him, dislike him, detest him, etc. Because the likes of these guys, we may not ever see again. And we could talk about a lot of the young players in the NBA and the young quarterbacks in the NFL. I already mentioned Patrick Mahomes, but there's no guarantee he's going to win five, six, seven Super Bowls. Or there's no guarantee that, and I'm just throwing a name out there, that Giannis is going to win five NBA championships or Luka Doncic is going to do the same or a guy like John Morant or if Zion Williamson is going to be the next guy to carry that torch. Is he going to be one that's going to win three, four, five NBA finals? We don't know that. So... This is what I mean about not only appreciating these athletes for what they are and what they've done, but also even comparing what the body of work has been for both of these guys and for the first part of this 21st century. Because, one more time, if you can't, as a sports fan, look at their accomplishments and appreciate what they've done, and not only that, but also put them in that pantheon of not only just all-time great, but even immortal. And immortal is forever. Same as an all-time great, but when you're ranked in the top five in your sport, in the history, whether it's the NFL 100 years and the NBA now 76 years, then you're not paying attention. And that's what I wanted to start off with, not only just talking about Brady and what his next step is going to be, and yes, all the accolades, I get it, the Super Bowls, MVPs, yada, 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 but knowing that he's a guy here in this early part of this century that he has already cemented himself on Mount Rushmore as one of the greats in his sport and the greats of this century. Because 50 years from now, when we're going to be long gone, especially if you're my age, is Brady still going to be on that pedestal? Is he still going to be a part of that Mount Rushmore? Obviously, we're not going to know that. But as for right now, it's he and LeBron that have already chiseled half of that Mount Rushmore. And we got to see what's going to happen over the course of the next 77 years if we're ever so fortunate enough to at least be here for the halfway part, 2050, to see what sports is going to give us here over the course of the next 25 years. So I'm just going to leave it at that with Brady. Congratulations as he goes off into the sunset, and let's pivot and move on. As we stick to the NFL, not much to get into as far as the Super Bowl. We all know that they're going to fly down probably as early as Sunday, Then Monday, you may even have teams traveling on that day. 
Generally, Sunday's the day that they travel. They settle in on Monday. Then media day Tuesday. The circus and carnival of what that is, we know. But we'll get into a lot of the Super Bowl stuff even a little bit next week. More so next Thursday or even Friday. And that's going to be a programming note that I'm going to have to juggle here. I cannot confirm that. I will have another podcast the following week right before the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's going to be Thursday, which I'm usually posting and will have a podcast as I've been doing since April of last year. But it's undetermined as of right now whether I'm going to release that podcast Thursday or Friday next week, so you have to stay tuned for that. But other news and notes off the field, we have a scenario where two coaches and positions have been filled. The one in Houston was no surprise, where D'Amico Ryans, the former San Francisco 49er defense coordinator, goes to the Texans. Six-year deal. He's been great, as we've seen here, with the Niners and their defense over the last couple of years. And remember, he was a guy that... Filled in for Robert Sala when he took the position here in New York for the Jets. So now Ryan's gets his shot and he comes home. Because you remember, he was a part of the Texan franchise there in the mid-2000s. So let's see what he does as far as revamping. And we all know they got a bunch of draft picks. They have the second overall pick, which you know they're going to draft a quarterback. And having that six-year deal shows that they're committed to having Ryan's there. With some growing pains, I'm sure, in the next year or two, maybe three... But in the back end of that contract, you would think they'll start to flourish and blossom and maybe become a threat in the AFC. That remains to be seen. As far as threats in the AFC, we thought that was going to be the case for the Broncos last year. We know that the Nathaniel Hackett experiment just blew up in their faces. It didn't even last a whole year. So now they bring in Sean Payton, the former New Orleans Saint coach, where they had to send some compensation, a first-round draft pick of this year, as well as a second for next year, and I believe even a third, depending on how the deal goes. But I know those two picks are in the mix. Number one pick for this year, which they actually got in the trade with the Dolphins for Bradley Chubb, because if you recall, they do not have a first-round pick prior to that trade because of the Russell Wilson deal last spring. So now you have a situation where they're dealing their number one pick again, and a number two to bring in Peyton, who's going to try to fix Russell Wilson as best as he possibly can. And that's going to be a huge risk. You would think it's going to work, knowing Peyton's pedigree and what he could do offensively. But I'm sure at the same time, Russell Wilson's going to have to adapt to Peyton's offense and how it's going to be deployed. They have some talent there on the offensive side of the ball, as we know. But for Peyton to take this job, and I'm sure he rather would have been in L.A. to be under the watch of a one Justin Herbert to take his game to the next level. And maybe even Houston could have been an option too for him. But Denver is where he lands. And even if he's going to get a boatload of money, I don't know what the contract deals or the terms and conditions as far as how much he's getting paid annually, which we know is probably going to be somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to $15 million. But with the Waltons trying to make a splash and trying to do whatever it takes to get their franchise, which is a very good franchise, winning franchise, But I don't know, with all the draft capital that they've traded away, on top of an aging quarterback, even with the wizardry and the offensive magic that Peyton can bring to the Mile High City, who knows if it's going to be anything close to what they've imagined prior to the beginning of last year, if they could translate that into this upcoming season, which is not going to be for another eight months as we know. Or really seven now that we're into the month of February. So we'll have to wait and see. You would think that would be a very good marriage between 
Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, but a lot's going to have to be said and tweaked with Russell Wilson's game and maybe even with the offensive game plan for Sean Payton to see if there will be any success out in Denver. Then you had Kellen Moore go to the Los Angeles Chargers, he formerly of the Dallas Cowboys as offensive coordinator. I'm sure there had to be a full guy there in Dallas. They weren't going to let Mike McCarthy go, so Kellen Moore goes. And who knows, maybe there was a ploy because they were thinking about maybe Sean Payton for next year if he didn't take the Denver job. Well, that blew up in Jerry's face if that was the plan. So Moore goes to L.A. And then Brock Purdy who, as we saw there in the NFC Championship game, after a couple of plays, was out and was determined that he has a UCL injury, which is the ACL of the elbow, where it's going to need some major reconstructive surgery. He's going to be out for six months. Who knows what the Niner scenario is going to be at that time. It's already been reported that Jimmy G and the Niners will part ways. So if Purdy, I don't know if he's going to be ready by the start of the season. And mind you, he's probably going to miss a lot of training camp, which means Trey Lance is going to be a guy that is the focal point and you would think is going to be number one as far as the depth chart goes. And I'm sure there may be some rumblings, as I said earlier, with the ties that Tom Brady has to San Mateo and the Bay Area and knowing that the team is ready-made to win a Super Bowl. I would think that there may be a phone call that's going to be made by John Lynch to Tom Brady to say, hey, are you sure you want to retire? Let's hope that's not the case, but we have to wait and see if Purdy is going to be ready and able to play throughout the course of training camp or even halfway through the exhibition season to get himself ready for a regular season that Trey Lance coming off of that broken ankle. Who knows? That's still way down the road to even forecast that, but it's something to keep in mind. The success that this kid had when he took over for Jimmy G in that game against the Dolphins, to now being on the shelf, I'm sure the Niners are going to have to think long and hard as to what they're going to do. And plenty of time to bandy about throughout the front office. But Purdy, I'm sure, is going to be a part of their plans. But how much going into next year certainly remains to be seen. And that's what I have there with the NFL. I know you had the situation with the offensive lineman with the Eagles, Josh Sills, who only got one start this year against Arizona. Right now he's on the exempt list because he has been part of an investigation where there was a count of rape and kidnapping going back to 2019 as he engaged with a woman that was not consensual and was held against her will back, what was it, three and a half, or oh, three years ago, more than that. It was December 2019. So he's going to be put on ice. And I believe this happened in Ohio. So who knows if that's going to be any type of strife or a distraction I understand he's not one of the top linemen on the team but still anytime you have a scenario like that just ask Andy Reid a couple years ago with his son in that scenario right before Super Bowl 55 so who knows if the Eagles are going to have to put that fire out or if that's going to be a distraction to the team as they make their way out to Glendale by week's end other than that as I turn my attention and lace up the high tops for the NBA I know Luka Doncic had 53 in his return from a mild ankle sprain, and that's good news for the Mavericks because he suffered that last Thursday night against the Phoenix Suns, and I'm sure even with the Mavericks being in the middle of the pack there out in the West, anytime you're going to lose a key figure like that 
in the NBA where, as we all know, it's a players-driven league. But to have Doncic back is going to be big. Like I mentioned, the West, especially when we talk about that bottom part of the bracket, as I mentioned on Monday, if you didn't tune in then, from 4 to 13, you have a cluster of teams that are separated by three and a half games. And as I do the math right now, when we look at, I'll even take the Clippers out. I understand both the Mavericks and Timberwolves are a game behind the Clippers for the four seed. But when we go from five down all the way to the Lakers, those eight teams are separated by three and a half games. And who knows which team is going to be able to separate themselves from the pack. It looks like the top three of Denver, Memphis, and believe it or not, Sacramento look like they're going to be in good shape. Of course, ebbs and flows of the season, as we know, especially for a Sacramento King team that is right now in a stratosphere that they haven't been in about two decades. But Denver and Memphis, you think that they'll be one and two when it's all said and done. The Clippers, if they could ever get themselves on track with their health and stop it with the load management, a la Kawhi or even Paul George. John Wall, you have to throw him in there as well. And then you have Dallas, Minnesota, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, New Orleans, who has fallen into a sinkhole. And I don't want to put it all on Zion, because when he's in the lineup, it seems like New Orleans is reinvigorated and can go through a brick wall. With him being out and not knowing when he's going to return, they have now lost nine in a row to where they're a game, or as a matter of fact, they're at 500. 26 and 26. And remember the Pelicans about a month or so ago, they were tops in the Western Conference. So they have fallen like a stone in the ocean. Follow that by Portland, OKC, and then the Lakers. So the West, you would think it's going to be a madhouse to get to the top 10, especially that 7 through 10 where you have the playing tournament. The East is a little bit different because you already know from the Bulls on down, I understand the Bulls are percentage points behind the Pacers for the 10th seed out in the 7-10 range in the Eastern Conference. But the East is a lot more top-heavy with teams like Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, who were embarrassed last night by the Celtics. Losing by 43? I get it, no KD, but still. And then you have Cleveland, who's been very good this year. Miami's starting to turn things around. And then you have the Knicks, Hawks, Wizards. Those are teams that are right now fighting for the playing tournament spots. But the NBA, as they're two weeks away from their All-Star break, and not a lot of separation here, not a lot to really get into or to talk about when it comes to teams that have been elevating. We talked about the Sixers on Monday, how they won seven in a row, but then they lost the other day before winning last night. And then the Bucks look like they're trying to get themselves on track, even with Chris Middleton in and out of the lineup. So the NBA, as of right this moment, not going to say it's on ice, but nothing too exciting or nothing that's really generating out of the association other than LeBron going after Kareem's record that we could really sink our teeth into. As far as college basketball, and I mentioned this last week, and I'll say this right now, and I think this is a very interesting question for the college basketball fan or for the fan that is looking forward to March Madness, which will be six weeks from today. Now, I understand you have the first four, which will take place Tuesday and Wednesday leading into the tournament. But as we all know, in earnest, it starts that Thursday with the slew of games from 12 noon all the way past midnight, which those first two days 
are as exciting and generates a lot of buzz as we all know with the office pools and the tournament. Understood. But six weeks from today, we'll get to dive fully in on the tournament. But the one thing you have to ask yourself as whether you're a college basketball fan, hoops fan, whatever, do you like the way this is going when it comes to the sport where it's as wide open as it's ever been? I understand you you have some teams that have played well this year and have done some good things, whether you're Purdue, Houston, Alabama, who lost over the weekend to Oklahoma. And I didn't discuss that on Monday's podcast. The Arizonas of the world, Virginia. Would you rather have the sport this way and not have the Blue Bloods a la North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky? You have Kansas there. And even UCLA to a certain extent is they're ranked 8th and ninth in the country. Would you rather have it so wide open and not have those Blue Bloods there? Or would you rather have it to where you have a bonafide handful of teams, or let's say a little more than that, five or six teams that you could bank on that will be there not only at the Final Four, but at the National Championship and will be there at the end to be the last team standing to cut down the nets. What scenario would you like to have? I think for the college basketball fan, they would like to have the Blue Bloods in the mix and be a part of the strength and maybe even be top-heavy to a certain degree when it comes to the tournament. But I think it's refreshing to have teams that we haven't seen, and I talked about this a few weeks ago with certain teams. I understand they've fallen out of the top 25 to a certain extent, but when you have teams like San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, TCU, and of course the first thing that comes to mind is the college football team. When you have those teams, and again you could throw St. Mary's, but St. Mary's has been in the tournament as we saw just last year with Shaheen Holloway. But when we take a grand 30,000 foot view of this, when we see how college basketball is in 2023, I kind of like that it's wide open like this. And as it was last year, as wide open as it was, what was your final? North Carolina and Kansas. And you had a North Carolina-Duke scenario in the Final Four. So to have different teams, and of course, when it's all said and done, we may have Kansas there at the top, we may have Arizona, teams that have a pedigree, teams that actually have a lengthy resume when it comes to performing in the tournament and being successful from March to the early part of April. But you also have to look at This could be a year, and we could look at a couple years back when Baylor won the whole thing, and Baylor was a team that was on a lot of people's radar, but certainly not in the national view when it comes to college basketball. But one thing I will say, I would think that as picking a name out of a hat and saying that this team could be in the Final Four or could have a deep March Madness run, I would not be surprised that the... Final four are going to be teams that we've seen time after time after time. And of course, I have my teams mixed up when I mentioned St. Mary's. Of course, Shaheen Holloway was with St. Peter's. St. Mary's, I'm thinking, going back now to the days of Delonte West, Jameer Nelson. So I had my Saints mixed up. So my apologies for the full paw when it came to St. Mary's and tying it in with the one Shaheen Holloway. But I would think this year even with teams that may make Cinderella runs 
and even with teams that could surprise people and have a scenario where they could do some big things in the tournament, I think when it's all said and done, despite the fact you may have a double-digit team coming out of a bracket that may make it to a Final Four, but I would think your championship game or three-quarters of your Final Four are going to be teams made up of universities that have been there before, that have had these successful type of runs, or maybe even had won a championship in the past, whether it was recently, a la Virginia, or years ago, a team like Arizona. So that's where we are at college basketball right now, because you could throw out probably eight to ten names to be a part of a Final Four, and you're probably going to be right. Or you wouldn't be that off base to think that X team, Y team, Z team can make a deep run and make it to a Final Four. And I think I kind of like it that way as opposed to having the bonafide dine-the-wool teams that are there year in and year out as one seeds, the Dukes, North Carolinas, Kentuckys, etc. Where now it's pretty much a toss-up and makes the tournament even that much more fascinating to wrap your arms around because it's almost anyone's tournament. And yes, we expect the cream to rise to the top, but we're going to have to wait another six weeks to see whether or not that's going to be the case. So I like it that it is wide open and that it's pretty much any team's tournament, at least for this year. Let's see as we get to next year and the year after that to really get even a feel to say, you know, I kind of like it this way, or you know what, we need to have those top-tier teams that we see year in and year out be a part of this mix because that's what made college basketball and that's what people become connected to college basketball. And I get it that there are no Mike Krzyzewskis there and I get it that there are no Roy Williams there and no Jay Wrights in Villanova. Understand that. And they are part of the fabric when it comes to college basketball as we've seen for decades. And now I guess with this new turn of college basketball, now it's almost the unknown. And as sports fans, makes it even that much more intriguing to see how this is all going to play out. Now, before I get to the NHL, another mea culpa here. I got to go back to what I said before about St. Mary's and then St. Peter's and all the Saints that I have mixed up, or St. Mary's for that matter. And then now, when I mentioned the Jameer Nelson... Delonte West teams, going back to the mid-2000s, they played at St. Joseph's. And I don't know if I'm not 100% in college basketball mode, and that's no excuse. This should come off the top of the dome like I'm breathing. But yes, one more time, not only my apologies to Shaheen Holloway and to St. Mary's, but also to Delonte, Jameer, and to St. Joseph's that they did not play St. Mary's. But now as I get that off of my chest and try to wipe off the stench of that, so for those out there listening, ah, Jay Reels, come on, man. Get to it. You're not on your game. At least I get to correct myself and recognize now before I move on. So one more time, my apologies. Oh, and one last thing I forgot to mention on Monday, which I would... Emery miss already as it is, but speaking of college basketball and synonymous with the tournament, Billy Packer, who passed away last week at the age of 82, and for those who have watched college basketball over the years, know that he was the voice, the analyst, uh, 
that brought so many great memories, whether it was the 87 game Syracuse and Indiana, the Keith Smart shot there at the buzzer or right before the buzzer. We could also look at the infamous Chris Webber timeout, Michigan, North Carolina, and how he said, he called a timeout. They're going to get a technical for it. And we all know how much that was a firestorm at the time with the Fab Five. All the great moments. His final game was the Memphis-Kansas game, which was a great ending. When we look back on that, that was the John Calipari-led Memphis team behind Derrick Rose, where with, what was it, two minutes ago, they had an eight-point lead, and Mario Chalmers from Kansas hit that big three to send it into overtime, and then Kansas went on to win the national championship, a championship that had eluded John Calipari for so long until 2012 when he was at Kentucky with Anthony Davis finally winning his first ever national championship. But Billy Packer, who worked with so many people over the years, obviously the finals here with Jim Nance going back to 2008, and when he retired, he literally went off into the sunset, and that was it. Sadly dies at the age of 82. Thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to his family, the CBS family, as he succumbed to kidney failure and had not been doing well. And recently, his health had taken a turn. So Billy Packer, one of the all-time greats when it comes to college basketball, passing away there. And again, remiss that I didn't bring it up earlier in the week. All right, now let me turn my attention to the NHL. And this is what I'm going to wrap up here. The National Hockey League is now at its all-star break. So the first half, quote-unquote, is now over. And right before the end of the first half, you had a big trade. And with the trade deadline still a month away, the Islanders, I don't know if this was something that they had to do. I don't want to say out of desperation. I'm not going to go as far as that. But knowing that they did not make many offseason moves other than Alexander Romanov, as I talked about ad nauseum last summer, and them winning a couple of games here and trying to get themselves back into the mix when it comes to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and in particular the Metropolitan Division. Lou Lamorello, the GM, pulled the trigger on trading for Vancouver Canuck forward Bo Horvat, a guy who scored 31 goals, scored 31 last year. He's an unrestricted free agent, and I'll get to that in a minute. But it was a trade that they had to do. They needed a boost in the worst way. And a guy who has had back-to-back 30-goal seasons, a guy that is obviously very productive on the offensive end, they needed this type of player in the worst way. Yes, they have some good goal scorers, but they don't have a guy that teams are going to be having sleepless nights over when it comes to trying to keep in track or keep in line of a player that could go off at any moment. And I'm not trying to make Horvat to be Mike Bossy, but... This is a guy that could give the Islanders that push to creep up in the standings and get into the postseason. As we all know, the postseason is a big, giant crapshoot, especially when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. But for the Islanders to trade Anthony Beauvillier, who will be forever remembered as the last goal scored in the Old Barn at Nassau Coliseum, if we recall that game in overtime against the Tampa Bay Lightning Game 6 two years ago. But he had underachieved. He was a guy that was scrappy, had a lunch pail mentality, but is not a big offensive player. Now, they did trade Aturata, a guy that they drafted two years ago that could have been very promising, 20 years old, and looks like he's going to have a bright future, as well as a conditional first-round pick. So we're going to have to see how that 
shakes down when we get toward the end of the year. But here's where the thing, and the Islanders have had a history of trading for goal scorers or impact-type players on the offensive end at the trade deadline or right before that. When you think back to just a couple of years ago when they traded for J.G. Pajot, then you could go way back when they traded Ryan Smith from Edmonton when they brought him back for a plethora of number one picks and then didn't resign with the team, where at least Pajot did resign. And now you're going to have a scenario where he's going to be unrestricted and Lamorello has said all the right things to say, yes, this is a player that we want to have in the fold. Horvat has said that it's not up to me, but let's see if there's going to be any discussions or talks with my camp and the front office. This is a trade that the Islanders, not only that they had to make, but now they're going to have to put their money where their mouths are to, in order to keep this guy on Long Island for the next five, six, seven, eight years. And he's 27 years of age, so he's right there smacking the prime of his career. And the Islanders needed a guy like this, like Oxygen. I've been screaming about it when I've talked about hockey, and in particular the Islanders, for the longest time. All you have to do is go back to the summertime with a lot of the free agents that signed and a lot of the talk about what the Islanders are going to do, considering they came off of two straight years going to the semifinals, and then last year not even making it into the playoffs, them firing or a mutual parting of the ways with the coach Barry Trotz, and then bringing in Romanov and not doing anything else besides that. So this was a move that Lamorello had to make. And who knows if John Ledecky, the owner, said, hey, we got to get somebody in here. I'm sure ticket sales, maybe they've decreased or declined a little bit, considering they're in a new building in their second year of existence at the UBS. So if this was their splash, then so be it. And even last year, they made a splash when they brought in Kyle Palmieri to be that guy to bolster their offense. And as we saw, he's been in and out of the lineup, has been underachieving this year. So let's see if this deal is going to pay dividends for the Islanders as they try to get themselves into a playoff race. And all we can hope for is that he can continue his goal-scoring prowess in Vancouver now here on the island. Then you had Bobby Hull, the Chicago Blackhawk great, big-time goal scorer, the Golden Jet because of the blonde hair. I understand he has a lot of off-ice issues when it comes to spouses and former spouses. And I understand today's not the day to get into that, but Bobby Hull passed away on Monday, 84 years of age. We know his son, Brett Hull. Of course, Dennis Hull, his brother. And for Hull, who's one of the giants, when you go back to the 60s, when they won a Stanley Cup back in 1961, teaming up with Stan Makita, another all-time great. And we know the type of player he was. I understand he's well before my time. But when we talk about all-time greats and the pantheon of NHL greats, his name is up there to go along with, especially when you talk about that era, the Rocket Richards, obviously the Gordie Howes, Bobby Hull, any of those Canadians, when you think back from that era, he's a guy that you're going to have to put up there no matter what. And with him passing away, 84, another one of the game's greats, transitions, so thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to his family, friends, the Blackhawk family, NHL community, etc. And as we close out this first half, to me, when I take a look at the lay of the land, we talked about the Bruins ad infinitum and what they've done, and they got back in the win column there after losing three in a row. We talked about even what Carolina has done here over the last several weeks, 
to where they've really made a push to be a formidable and maybe even a threat to the Bruins to see if they could get to the Cup and what they've done here over the last month and change. You also have to look at a team like the Lightning. I understand that they're not really on the radar when it comes to top teams, but they've continued to lay in the weeds. They're a team that they have to be reckoned with and have to be thought of here when we look at the big picture. I'm sure the Dino Wool NHL fan are going to look at that and say, oh, come on, J-Reels, you don't know what you're talking about. But you have to also keep your attention on them, despite them being third in the Atlantic Division at the current moment. Maple Leafs, we all know that it's all about what happens from April to can't say June because I haven't even gotten past April to get into the second round of the playoffs in this century. But the Maple Leafs are going to be a team to look out for to see what they're going to be able to do. But when I look at the surprises and disappointments this year, and I talked about this team a few weeks ago, but what Seattle has done here has been remarkable to turn their fortunes around. I understand inaugural season last year, they only had 61 points, and they're going to obliterate my over-under point totals. I think it was 81 and a half. I had them as an under and they're at 63 right now. So the Kraken and what they've done, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, let's see if they can continue this, maybe even be a threat out West. Maybe premature to even say that, but you got to give it up to what they've done in their turnaround here from last year to this year. So to me, I think that they're the biggest surprise in the sport and the biggest disappointment has to be the Florida Panthers. Now they could score goals, And Matthew Kachuk has done a phenomenal job there. 66 points, 25 goals. He certainly had put his fingerprints on the team offensively, but defensively they've been terrible. They've given up the third worst goals in the Eastern Conference or amount of goals. Their goaltending is horrific with Sergei Bobrovsky. And the Panthers, who had won and were tops in the NHL last year with 122 points, won the President's Cup and thought maybe that they could have given the Lightning a run for their money there in the second round of the postseason, and what happened there? They fizzled out in five games. And for them, even with the trade where they send Huberdeau, Jonathan Huberdeau, that is, to Calgary and bringing back Kachuk, and with a new coach in there and Paul Maurice, maybe they thought that the Panthers would take that next step, and I even think I had them as an over this year for my over-under point totals. And you know what? I'll talk about that more on Monday as we get into the second half of the season. But the Panthers have to be, if not the biggest disappointment, a top disappointment considering where they were a year ago to where they are now, even with the trade. And yes, they can score goals. They're able to put up some offensive numbers. Alexander Barkov and Carter Vergehi, who leads the team in goals with 26. But the Panthers have been a bitter disappointment when we take a look at the land of the NHL. And... I'll get into it more on Monday when we take a look at the second half. What teams as the trade deadline? I want to say off the top of my head, I don't know if it's March 9th. It could be March 9th as late as that. I know in the NBA, the trade deadline is February 9th, which is actually a week from today. And I'll talk more about that on Monday because I'm sure you're going to see a lot of people trying to jockey for positions. The Celtics are going to look for another big man. Some of the rumors that are rumbling out there, but they're only get, thinking about getting the Mason Plumleys of the world, you know, guys like that. You know, they're not going to get a big time big man to man the center position there for the Celtics over the course of the last, what is it, 28 games of the season? We'll take a 
little more of an in-depth look. We don't have to worry about the trade deadline for another month, but the Islanders have already broken that seal. Let's see if other teams will follow suit, especially during this All-Star break. Will there be some rumblings down in South Florida where the game will be played? You have the skills competition there tomorrow night. Again, I'm not crazy about All-Star games, so I'm not going to probably even watch a lick of this particular version of the game, but the NHL now, with a bit of a break, decompress, and we'll reconnect here on Monday to see where the second half of the season may go for some of these teams, a lot of these teams, as the fall and winter sports will continue to move on as the Super Bowl, not this week, the following week, is still on the horizon to kind of cap off what has been a rather so-so NFL season. And I'll just keep it at that as we reconnect there on Monday for the J Reels podcast. With that being said, that'll do it. Another episode just about in the books as always. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation in listening to me spew, critique, praise of what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, and I'll say one more time, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels podcast, Twitter, J Reels one, just a number, or a question, comment, suggestion to the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. To enhance this experience, coming through your earbuds and speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, pretty much since birth, maybe even before that. Because for 53 years, and God willing for another 53 more, I will grace my followers, the people that have been with me, whether it goes back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as today, to continue to critique, praise, thoughts, opinions, analysis, with fire, passion, energy, fury on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>